These were exciting times for gin and gin lovers, Cocktail College listener. And a large part of that comes from the new styles and different botanicals producers are bringing into the fold. But what I value more than anything is when those ingredients are being used with intention and better yet, speak to a sense of place. Take Roku Gin from the House of Centauri, for example. This is a quality, crafted spirit and a uniquely Japanese gin by way of six native botanicals. Those ingredients include sakura flowers and leaves, sencha tea, sancho pepper, and yuzu. Not only do they capture Japan in the glass, they also tell a tale of four distinct seasons. Once again, that name is Roku Jin, listener. And if you want my take, you have to turn to this gin for zesty martinis, bright effervescent highballs, and a unique taste of Japan. Please drink responsibly. Roku Jin is a registered trademark with 43% alcohol by volume. Copyright 2022, Beam Suntory Import Company, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Picture a private group of late 19th century males of the legal and literary trades meeting in a landmark Philadelphia hotel. What do you see in their hands? And more importantly, in their glasses? What might these old chaps choose to imbibe as they talk shop? If we're being perfectly honest, given the era and the scenario, the mind does not immediately wander toward a pink, fluffy, and fruity cocktail served in a delicate coupe. But that was the tipple of choice for this group, and that soon-to-be iconic cocktail would take on their name, the Clover Club. Nowadays, that name is just as synonymous with one of New York's best bars as it is with the historic cocktail. Located in Brooklyn, Clover Club is one of multiple bars that has or continues to enjoy the stewardship of Julie Reiner, who also launched the Social Hour line of canned cocktails along with longtime Clover Club partner Tom Macy in 2020. In today's episode, Julie reminds us that the Clover Club cocktail contains gin, raspberry syrup, lemon juice, egg white, and one other ingredient that I bet many of us always forget. She talks us through how to properly prepare a raspberry syrup and speaks on the evolution and nuances of modern gin. Finally, Julie points out that yes, this is a wonderfully named drink, hence borrowing it for her bar, and that a good part of that stems from alliteration, those two C's running one after the other. So how about we double down on that thought listener by saying, today's topic is the Clover Club, and this is the Cocktail College Podcast. Um, Julie Reiner in the house. Yes, hello. Back in the old stomping ground. Absolutely, yeah. We're in the is... Flatiron District here. Is this still technically Flatiron where we are? It, well, yeah, I think so. We're on the cover. We're in Clear. no man's land, really. 
on the edge. We're on yeah. the edge. But of course, also of Clover Club fame. It's a, it's a natural fit for the show today. <laughs> what a what an incredible cocktail. I'm looking forward to getting into this one. I often have first thoughts about a drink um, when it comes to the Clover Club. Not is it only associated with this incredible bar that you run here in, well, in Brooklyn, close by, but also just what a wonderful looking drink off the bat. It is a beautiful cocktail, yes. Very, very visually stunning. We drink with our eyes first. We eat with our eyes first. Yeah, yeah, so. it, it, was a, it was a drink that, you know, I made for people at, at Flatiron Lounge, which opened in 2003, and we were teaching people how to drink. So it was sort of like I really gravitated towards the gin cocktails that would make a vodka drinker drink a gin drink. Yes. You know, and like along with the Southside Fizz, the Clover Club cocktail was always one of those. It's beautiful. It's delicious. It's approachable. And about 99% of people who taste it really like it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it really is one of those ones that's like, you know, the category of drinks is like, oh, you think you don't like this type of spirit? Have I got something for you? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, when Flatiron opened, we had we were really trying to teach people that there were drinks other than the Cosmopolitan that they could have, <laughs> you know? Popular one there, for especially, you know, the old vodka drinkers. Um, can you briefly explain for anyone listening... I think there's three or four of them who have never heard of this cocktail or not familiar with its components. Can you let them know briefly what's, what are the components of this drink? Um, just we can name them. Yes. So we've got gin, dry vermouth, fresh lemon juice, raspberry syrup, and egg white. I mean, already it sounds wonderful off the bat. Um, and this is, you know, we spoke about the bar there, so obviously one that that's dear to your heart i would imagine can you just talk us through first here your your own personal relationship with this drink do you remember the first time you came across it or you had it and uh ultimately like why that was the name that you chose for for, for this bar venture yeah you know i found it in an old book um and most of the time you know in pre-opening of Clover Club itself, this drink was made without the dry vermouth. You know, most of the recipes that you would see were just the gin, lemon, raspberry syrup, and egg white. Or sometimes you'd see it with grenadine also. Um, and, you know, later I came to find out that many books that were written would just leave out ingredients that were hard to find. Mm -hmm. And I think vermouth, you know, was one of those things that it didn't come over from Europe or it not every bar had it. And so when people wrote these books, they were like, oh, just leave it out. And then somebody else would copy somebody else and then they would write yes. the same thing, you know. Um, and, you know, so I, I fell in love with the drink early on and I was like, well, if I'm going to name my bar after a cocktail, I want it to be a cocktail that everybody loves, right? It's beautiful. It's feminine. It speaks to me, you know, and I, and I felt like I really could um, build a menu around this particular classic. Yeah. And great name, too. Yeah. I mean, the double C's, it, yeah. you know, it's like, it has a lot. I had a whole bunch of different, you know, I had a list of names and things that I was thinking of and it just made sense, you know, yeah. and then once we started writing it out and looking at it and what it would look like on a sign and a logo, I was like, this has to be it. Yeah. It's, it just fits naturally. Yeah. Quick sidebar. This reminds me of kind of growing up and 
and just assuming that one day I would be in a in, in a world famous band despite having no musical talent. And I spent most of the time thinking about what would that band be called? <laughs> so kind of like that, you know. Yeah. Is that like the same in the industry too, where you're you know you're starting out or or you're working at good places and you're like, yeah, I feel like I can get to this next stage where I'm going to be an owner, have my own place. Is that something you are thinking about the bar name because it's such an important aspect? Absolutely. I mean, you know, for us. Uh, the the process has been different with every place that we've had. Um, you know, I came up with the name for Landa as well. You know, that was, I feel like Landa was actually a harder bar to name because we wanted something in Spanish, but that people who don't speak Spanish can read and say, and yeah. that also means something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was one that I, you know, I, I nailed on that one too. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, I mean, every bar that you open has a different process, you mm-hmm. know? But is it is something that's kind of percolating in the mind while you're maybe cleaning down a section at night one day and you're trying to take, take your mind off that? Who knows? Um, that's your personal relationship with the cocktail. Do you remember the first one that you had? Did you discover it in a book before someone had made it for you? Or is it just one of those ones that was kind of on your radar? And I found it in a book and then I made it. Wow. <laughs> so I made it for myself. <laughs> That's... And I thought, mm, this is really delicious. I mean, when I opened Flatiron Lounge, it was 2003. It wasn't, mm-hmm. there There weren't, you couldn't really go to a lot of places and yes. get a classic <laughs> cocktail. I mean, Sasha could have made it for me at Milk and Honey. Yeah. You know, Audrey Saunders probably uh, up at, you know, Bemelman's or yep. where she was at that time. If She was at like, I don't know, not even Bemelman's yet. It was, she yeah. was at a different place when we opened Flatiron. So, you know, there, it was not the land of fresh juice and mm-hmm. high-end cocktails that we experience today. This was, you know, New York City was still mostly Rose's lime juice and sour mix on the gun and soda guns and terrible liquor. And, you know, it wasn't, which is why Flatiron was so successful very quickly. <laughs> because mm-hmm. people, New Yorkers want the best of everything and they're willing to travel for it. So they were like, oh, high-end, really delicious cocktails. Once you have one, you can't go back. Yeah. And what's it like, I guess, in terms of being someone that now uh, runs a team, multiple teams, seeing younger people getting into the industry, does it ever strike you the fact that they will never really be able to have that moment where they're like, discover something in a book that hasn't really been widely trialed by the, the, the modern bartending community? Because... That was the era of that, I'm yeah. guessing, the early 2000s. I talk about that all the time with them. I'm like, you know, I you know, I, I infused tea into a spirit and it was like, wow. You know, I mean, I made, it was like I made a fresh ginger syrup and it was like mind blowing. You know, these are things that were cutting edge at the time. And, you know, yeah, now it's it's t- tough to do things that haven't been done before. You yeah. know, which is why I think so much has headed in this molecular direction. It's like, oh, well, if I use this and I can make this into a different color and there's smoke coming out of it. And half the time it's just a show and the yeah. drink isn't necessarily better. But the general public is like, ooh, it's smoking, you know, <laughs> or whatever. You What's know, there's a bubble, bubble popping on top of it that we see all over Instagram I these days. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was really exciting to be able to create things that hadn't been done before. You know, it was it was a fun time um, in in 
for me, you yeah. know, in the bar world. And, you know, I had my sort of, you know, my friends. And when we were working on opening Pegu Club, Audrey was like living in the basement of Flatiron, basically just working on drinks. And, you know, we would taste each other on things. And I had infusions in the fridge and, you know. It's incredible. So I mean, it was a cool time. I often wonder whether we're ever going to have another one of those moments. I mean, history does always repeat itself, but I mean, what at what cost? Do we have to return to the days of roses to get there? <laughs> In which case, I'm not sure we want to go there. <laughs> exactly. It's, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, I feel like we've gotten there to a degree in the style of bars that people are opening. Like, yeah. you know, it back then it was kind of like you had to be like, no, we're not like those sour mix people. We're serious, you know, and, and we had to, you know, we had the, the bartenders with the ties and the whole bit, like, because I had to sort of prove to the general public that what they were doing was higher end. And yeah. this was, this is, these are gourmet cocktails. These mm -hmm. are culinary cocktails, you know, and teach showing people what the difference was. Yeah. And, and, and I guess, yeah, not even just that, but as you mentioned beforehand, the idea that, um, you know, you're having to convince people as well of these ingredients. Like there's a much greater understanding these days when it comes yeah. to whether it's, you know, like agave spirits or mezcal even like you you really don't need to push too hard you're pushing against an open door i guess the expression is absolutely any and in brooklyn in particular like people are adventurous where we are they're willing to try things you know i mean i went on um kathy lee and hoda <laughs> to do it this you know bar trend segment when i was really first opening clover club and i did the clover club cocktail and they were like egg whites you know and, <laughs> yeah. and kathy lee was like I'm going to skip out on that one. I'm a wine lady. You know, it was really funny. Like they were just grossed out. And I was like, have you ever had hollandaise sauce? Because there's egg whites in a lot of things, you <laughs> yeah, know. <exactly. laughs> it's like 90% water as well. It's yeah. not going to kill you. Yeah. Well, it's I'm fine. like, the booze is going to kill anything that's there. Yeah. But you're... it's really, it's safe. Yeah. <laughs> but to, I guess to the, the conversation's point as well, though, we should also remind ourselves that there is an absolute wealth of drinks out there that, most people, even people that think they're pretty deep on this stuff, don't know. I was just pulling up a note here. I was trying to find something because, you know, often I'll write down those ones. And I was at a bar recently and uh, was um, the Varnish in L.A. Shout out to those guys. Yeah. And uh, they were like, have you had this drink? It's one of Eric's favorites, the Dahlia's Revenge. I've like never fucking heard of it. It's amazing. I've got it here. Two, two ounces mezcal, three quarters lemon, three quarters honey, three to one garnish of cayenne pepper. Very nice. Now, I don't know whether that's a... I don't it's a very think milk it's a, and honey spec. Yeah, you know? yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. So I think that's one of those, but it's like it, it never found its way into the modern classic realm, but like anyone could put that drink on their menu now and wow people. And so... Sure. Lots of ground still to cover there. Yeah, for sure. But we are going to look back in history because this is one of those cocktails, I believe, that does have something of a solid foundation um, when it comes to telling the tale. Can you spin that yarn for us today? Yeah. Um, yeah, so the history of this drink is uh, it was created at the Bellevue Stratford Hotel uh, in Philadelphia, and which was a, a place that was, it was a men's sort of gentleman 
gentleman's club in a way, not in the, you know, dirty yeah. way, but <laughs> it was mostly um, not the bad of being. political, you know, political types, journalists, um, and they would have dinners and they had, you know, would give speeches and they sort of were known for kind of razzing each other and yelling things out. And it was a very like intellectual kind mm-hmm. of group of people. Um, and this was the house cocktail, which I thought was so funny too, this fluffy pink drink was the house drank amazing for a group of very smart men you know <laughs> I and, was uh, like... and again we, we we still have a long way to go but in, a, in yeah. a decidedly different era when it came to you know attitudes of all kinds of oh, things yeah. that we don't even need to get into no, right the, now the girly drink and yeah. the man, you know stop it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just stop it um but it was the turn of the century that yeah. around when it was created um and uh you know when i when i decided to open clover club and we picked the location um D- david wondrich is a is a dear friend of mine and he lives very close by and i was living in a different neighborhood of brooklyn called Park Slope. Uh, and I talked to Dave and I was like, Dave, what do you think? Cause he's, he's lived there forever. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, do you think Smith street or like fifth Avenue or seventh Avenue in yeah. Park Slope would be better for this bar? And he was like, Oh, it's definitely Smith street. Mm-hmm. And like, he later admitted to me that it was, you know, selfishly, he wanted to be able to walk to the bar, you know, <laughs> and not that he couldn't walk if it was, if it was over there. And he also, and he was also right. You know, yeah. Smith street was definitely the right location. Um, but he knew that I was working on the spec for this drink. And I was like, it has to be perfect. I was making different kinds of raspberry syrups doing it, you know, it, with different styles, different sugar ratios. Um, and he came running in and he was like, Julie, I found the oldest recipe for the Clover Club cocktail and it had dry vermouth in it. And it was like this, bah, like, wow. you know, aha moment. And we made the drink with the dry vermouth and suddenly it was like this grown up cocktail. It went from being a really yummy raspberry gin drink Yep. just to having, you know, even at that half an ounce of dry vermouth, it just gave it something different and made it more of a grown-up beverage, you mm-hmm. know, and less of a gin, raspberry, lemonade drink. Yeah. No, I'll be honest, you know, during the prep for this show, I actually, you know, was reminding myself going over in- ingredients and history and whatnot, and it, it caught me off guard, too. It's like it was something that I knew that was there in the back of my mind, but if I was just trying to finagle one at home without access to the internet, what a great world that would be for for five minutes at least. <laughs> I would not have thought to include the uh, the driver move. And I love that component and getting into that. I guess in the meantime, if we're coming back up to, we've highlighted those two periods, you know, early 2000s, but then also before that turn of the century, you mentioned egg white. Is that is that the thing that basically brings down this Zeppelin for, for a little while there in in the intervening years. What do you mean? Just kind of uh, Im- negatively impacts the fortunes of, of this cocktail. Uh, for sure. I mean, there were certainly, especially, yeah, in the early aughts, you know, it was like anytime we did drinks with egg white, you know, there were always people that were just like, ew, you know, um, and at Flatiron, we were still like cracking the egg and all of that stuff. With at, at Clover Club, we make so many Clover Clubs that we do egg whites in a at the beginning of the night, and we mm-hmm. also measure them because our spec 
ultimately ended up being an exactly measured amount of egg white as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, people people were kind of squeamish about it, and um, you know. But then there were others that were adventurous and willing to try. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so the perfect person to be asking this question to, I think, which is, what are you looking for? And we can say we can we can emphasize the look there too, but also just overall, what are you expecting from the 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 version of this drink that you've come to know and kind of pioneer? You know, you want all of the ingredients to sort of speak for themselves. I think sometimes London dry gins tend to be a little too piney and overtake the cocktail. You want to get the dry vermouth and the the beautiful raspberry. You still want the botanicals from the gin. Um, but yeah, it, it is a kind of a delicate drink in a way. And uh, if you, if you try, if you make it with a gin, that's super high proof, you know, I, for me, it's not the best version of the drink. Yep. Um, and I've made it with just about every gin out there just to see, yeah. you know. Yeah, I've had, I've had it with a couple of different ones at your bar before, actually, and enjoyed it with across a spectrum of mm -hmm. styles. Um, when it comes to that question, if I can add on maybe a second part to that, what's, if you were advising someone who's maybe making it for the first time or a younger bartender, what's the one thing that you're kind of like, careful on this one? Like, is it the raspberry syrup that become too overpowering or, or maybe that style of gin that's too juniper forward, like you said there? Like, what's the one that you'd be like, just be careful of this when you're making it? Yeah, I mean, I think their gin choice is the biggest thing, you know. Um, for, for me, you know, when I first opened Clover Club, Plymouth was what I was using, um, kind of a little bit more of a feminine style gin, citrus forward, not, you know, the Tanqueray, which, and I love Tanqueray yeah. in other cocktails, you know, um, but it's, it's just a little bit too much for a Clover Club. So I think first and foremost, choosing the right gin. Um, and then the raspberry syrup is going to be the next thing, you know, mm -hmm. um, when I was making raspberry syrups for the drink, you know, we were like, okay, do we put it on the stove? Do we, you know, that heated up kind of raspberry as opposed to fresh raspberry, just muddled raspberry. Um, the, the stove, if you heat it up too much, you get that cooked kind of pie flavor. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, the brightness, uh, goes away. Mm -hmm. So, um, we, we create ours without really heating it up at all. Yeah, let's dive um, into that preparation. Yeah, we we um we'll take the raspberries and uh super fine sugar and just kind of macerate them together, let it sort of get goopy and sit and then we add a certain amount of water, let it sit kind of overnight and then make sure all that sugar is dissolved um and then we fine strain out the solids and that's our raspberry syrup. Mhm. Mm and are you using any other ingredients there in the syrup? I've seen I've seen some posted online of, of recipes, um, maybe using spirits to to. You can yeah. fortify, yeah. yeah. If if you know, I mean, especially if you're making it at home and you want it to stay for longer, we okay. go through so much that we don't have to. So when you fortify a a, a, a a syrup, you're adding like an ounce of vodka to a quart, right? And it just keeps it. For longer. Okay. Um, and, you know, for syrup, if, if we're not going through it quickly, you definitely want to do that. We make so many clover clubs that we don't have to. Yeah. Um, 
because we just go through it fast. You hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you always, you never want to go to the bar that's named after a cocktail and no one drinks that cocktail there. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. not sure that bar exists. I'm hoping it doesn't, but like <laughs> I would feel bad for the people that run it. Um, good reminder too, that the raspberry is not supposed to be like an overly sweet fruit, right? It's, it should yeah. be just as tart, maybe even a little sour in a way, right? As it should be like sweet and fruity. Exactly. That's what you're looking for when you when you when you're buying those in an ideal world. In an ideal world, and yeah, I mean we're making clover clubs year round. Clearly, raspberries are better sometimes a year than than others, so you may have to kind of edit, you know, your quantities. Um, I think that making the syrup is definitely you get a better raspberry flavor than you do if you were to muddle raspberries in simple syrup, which is how a lot of people make a clover club at home. Um, and you can absolutely do that too. But I think that, you know, letting, if you are going to do it that way, muddle it, muddle them in the syrup and then let it sit there for a little bit before you go make the cocktail. Mm -hmm. um, so that a lot of that, that flavor, you know, sugar, is a great conductor of flavor and it'll pull out a lot of that mm -hmm. out of your raspberries. But if you just muddle, you know, build the drink and shake and strain, you're, you don't get as much of that raspberry. Mm -hmm. And from a balance perspective, if we're talking about like zero being bone dry and 10 being the nicest sweet wine tokai you've ever had in your life, lusciously sweet, where does this, for you, this syrup sit on that scale? Gosh, I think ours is somewhere maybe around a 6.5, you know, okay. somewhere in there. Nice. It's it's not, you know, it's ours is it's technically kind of it's like an, a one to one syrup. Um, you have to take into account the amount of water inside the raspberries and that, you know, accounts for how much water you, you mm -hmm. add um, to the sugar and the raspberries. And of course, as you said as well, yeah, that, that that's just slightly you know, north of five there on the scale. and But let's also remember that we are using dry vermouth in this. So do you want to talk us through that as well? What what are your considerations? What's the what's your preference there when it comes to this cocktail? Yeah, we use Dolan Dry um, vermouth, which I for me, Dolan Dry vermouth is such a, a, a workhorse vermouth. It's somewhere, it's right down the center. It doesn't have too much kind of, you know, too many kind of herbal notes going on. Um, it, and it's like the perfect vermouth for this cocktail. Mm -hmm. That's you know? great. I tried it out with Noily Pratt, you know, early on, Martini Dry, mm -hmm. um, but the Dolan really was the best one for us. I hear that. Um, and then, of course, we, yeah, we did mention gin, but so you're, you're definitely looking. I mean, Plymouth would have been one of those historically earlier ones that moves mm -hmm. away from that profile, but... You're happy to go even maybe a little bit further than the Plymouth when it goes to more towards kind of citrusy or fruity or floral these days rather than the classic London dry template? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the Japanese gins, um, I played around with some uh, some of the different Japanese gins that are out there and they make some beautiful clover clubs because mm -hmm. they do have that green tea and yuzu and, you know, some of them have very different sort of flavor profiles uh, that really work well in this cocktail. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there are people who like a more juniper forward gin in their clover club and they like it to be a little bit drier. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll use Ford's gin for those people. Yeah. Um, Great I think, pick there. yeah, you know, Ford's is, is one of my favorites. 
Um, so I can recommend that if you do like a little bit more juniper in your clover club. Mm -hmm. And also maybe, you know, for other folks, maybe just getting into it too, that, um, do like maybe an aviation for this one as well. I'm not sure like that style too. I Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a a good one, but other many gins are available out there. You know, that's the thing. It's nuts how many, you know, when I, when I opened Flatiron, it was like, there were like five gins that Mm -hmm. we had and that was it. Now it's like. Man, there's Bar Hill gin, and there's you know, I yeah. mean, there are so many wow. gins, and everybody wants us to carry it. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> so hard. it's very difficult. I'm yeah. like, I you know, look at this back bar at Clover Club. We're like, if I bring something in, I have to get rid of something. Yeah, <laughs> such a shame. Yeah, we had Dale on a few weeks back, and he was saying seven thousand gins in the world these days, apparently, which doesn't surprise me if you've ever been to the United Kingdom anytime recently. Everything is gin there. Yeah, <laughs> it's back there in a big way. Um, final component of the drink. Well, two final components. Wait, getting ahead of ourselves yeah. here. <laughs> Lemon juice or egg white, which one do you want to discuss first? And how deep do you want to go on either of them? I mean, lemon juice. We can talk lemon juice. Mm-hmm. Fresh squeezed. Mm-hmm. Strain it. There you go. <laughs> You're a strainer. <laughs> yes. I'm a no pulp lady. <laughs> strain out the pulp. Juice it fresh, you know. There we go. That's all I got for you on that. <laughs> um, and then the egg white, uh, you know, I this is a drink that it's interesting because raspberry and egg white, like it, raspberry just uh, like blows up with egg white. You don't need very much. Um, I think that's probably the biggest mistake people make is that they will put okay. They, it's they see in a book. It's like. The, the white of one egg. Well, when this drink was created, the eggs were half the size of the eggs today, right? So that the white makes of so one egg, yeah. yeah. So one egg is even, you can make, you know, three with one egg. Yeah, we, do, yeah. we do like somewhere between a quarter and a half an ounce, you know, mm-hmm. of egg white. And we measure it, you know. Uh, I realized that in my, you know, R&D early on that we really didn't need as much as we thought we did. That makes so much sense, too. And also, back then, eggs wouldn't have been as fresh. If you've ever tried to make a a poached egg with an old egg there, and you just see that thing go into the water, there's no you can stir, you can add vinegar, you can do all the tricks in the book to make the perfect poached egg. You just need a fresh one, and it just dissipates. Like, that's, that's it. And that happens over time. So, again, like, speaks to why you might need a full one to get that nice emulsification and that beautiful fluffy head yeah exactly let's talk about the preparation now and also can you do so with the ingredients not the ingredients sorry well the ingredients too if you're making it for for us here today but also the quantities and yeah just talk us through it start to finish yeah um so yeah for me i will generally start with my raspberry syrup uh and my lemon juice followed by my dry vermouth uh, and the gin, and then I'll add the egg white last, um, just so that I can make sure it doesn't get cooked with, the, with mm-hmm. the, uh, which I learned that lesson very, in a very sad way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like about to open Flatiron, and I was like, we did a big batch of, of Clover Clubs for New York Magazine's event, and I was me and, I was actually next to Dave, who was doing something, a different drink, and I had my batch there, and we put the egg whites in the batch, and then we got to the thing, and I went to shake it, and I was like, where's the frothy head? You know, and the egg whites, you can't add it and let it sit in lemon juice. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Duh. You know, but again, that was, you know, back in the day, I was learning things 
as I went because there really wasn't anybody to teach you a lot of these things. So why is it always that these lessons come along by the way, when it's like a high stakes moment, it's always the event, isn't it? It tasted the same, Mm -hmm. really. It just didn't look the same. It didn't have the same froth. And I was like, oh, well, Um, but anyway, at the egg white last. um, And then we do a quote, the dry shake, Mm -hmm. which is really just a shake without ice. It's not Mm -hmm. dry at all. But um, so shake without ice first to mix everything together, emulsify that egg white, get that froth started, then add your ice in and shake uh, and then strain. No double straining um, because you're just popping all those beautiful bubbles and kind of killing your own froth that you really want to be on top of this drink. Yeah. Um, I played around with the reverse dry shake, uh, which, uh, you know, and and I, I did some so – I was playing with it and I was like, oh, it actually really does create a large froth, but the bubbles are bigger and then right. it sort of flattens quickly. Um, and I was messing around with it around the time it was another, you know, I, somebody asked me to do a video f- and I, and now it's out on the internet of me doing like the reverse dry shake. And I'm like, oh, that's that, not what we do at this all. This is how Julie does like, it. damn it. <laughs> Julie. See, I, that was like one of those, like I, w- I was sucked in by bartenders trying to create things that hadn't been done yet. This is how we do it. We do the reverse dry shake. Well. Reverse dry shakes, kind of bullshit. <laughs> um, so yeah, don't do that. Uh, and and it also you know, you know that's for those who don't know the reverse dry shake is when you shake it with ice first and then you strain it back into your tin and then you shake it without the ice after you've already shaken it. Um, but it's and not. the thinking being that yeah, you get that more impressive maybe from a visual standpoint the head, right. but not as the texture is wrong. Like, yeah. you know, it sort of, it makes the bubbles on top in the froth larger, but the texture is not as creamy. Mm-hmm. In, I mean, it's yeah, exactly. like the yeah, minutiae of it's the cocktail. It's more like night and day between the two components of the cocktail rather than like a smooth transition there when you're drinking Exactly. It. Yeah. And you, you want it to be a nice froth that's going to stay and, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like drinking a, a well-poured Pilsner versus a, a Guinness. Exactly. I'll take the Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> and so preferred glassware for this and then final touches on the garnish front. Yeah. Well, always a coupe if if it's me. Um, yeah. Coupe glass. Uh, and we garnish with a raspberry on a pick. Single or three? Single. Why never two? You know, I don't know. I, I, that's been... I'm, I've broken that rule so many times <laughs> well, you know there are some people who are real sticklers about you know it's bad luck I don't mm-hmm. know I heard a theory when it comes to olives and martinis that apparently I'm I might be getting this wrong but we actually we, we we ran a little historical piece on vine pair about it where it was like if you had two olives served to you in your martini by your bartender apparently he was trying to tell you the mob was putting a hit on you I'm not sure whether that is true and to how many people that was relevant. I that might be butchering like that. That sounds like a story that Dave will, you know, 86, he'll tell Butcher. you. Butcher. No, yeah. that can't, that's not true. All the good stories, you know. <laughs> it's also funny you mentioned earlier, you know, yourself being in Park Slope and, and Dave being a little further west there as we look at it. Just my experience of like drinks media versus bartenders it tends to be the opposite way around when you when it comes to New York, but um, I don't know. Maybe that's 
going a little bit too deep on that one. Good, <laughs> both very good neighborhoods. Yeah, I live in Gowanus now, so you know, I'm I'm right in the middle. <laughs> never, never, never short of a good place for a drink, right there. No. Um, well, that's wonderful. We've prepared the drink. We've done the historical deep dive. We've looked at all the ingredients. Any final thoughts on the Clover Club today? I mean, I guess my thought is that I'm I'm really happy that so many people know about it now and that it is something that I've seen riffs on and different things. You know, mm -hmm. people are, it, it's cool. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's, it's a drink that should be very popular, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's become that. And I picked a good one. <laughs> How many times a week, maybe in the early days, did you ever get people sitting at the bar? I can imagine the situation. Maybe someone's mansplaining something and going, you know, they actually invented this cocktail here, Clover Club. Oh, yeah. No, I've had people say that to me. Oh, Julie created this drink. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> nope. I just grabbed onto it and <laughs> took it for a ride. <laughs> you, you, you gave it a platform. Exactly. Gave it its wings. Yes. Set it free into the world. Yep. Wonderful. Well, why don't we uh, transition here into the, the, the final part of our show where we get to know you more as a bartender and as a drinker. Okay. Let's do it. I like it. Question number one, what style or category of drink, uh, drink, spirit, <laughs> typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Well, at Clover Club, it's whiskey and gin, but I would say more American whiskey than anything. Uh, and at Leyenda, obviously, it's tequila and mezcal. <laughs> it, would be, it would be weird if it were anything other yeah. than that. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two. Which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? So that's a real tough one. Um, I was going to say tongs. I mean, I'd like to see more tong use. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially in this day and age. Yeah, I think the, the optics on that are, are good. And, you know, grabbing things with tongs makes people, makes the guests very happy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I feel like there, it may be a teaspoon measures also. You know, that's another one where people are like, oh, a bar spoon. But now they're, you know, it's like their bar spoons are different sizes. Yeah. And knowing exactly, you know, me if, if we're going to measure specifically with jiggers using teaspoon and tablespoon measures as well. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I'm here for that. Yeah. <laughs> Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? You know, early on... Somebody told me um, when you, you know, you get press, they're like, you just read it, smile about it, and then set it aside and keep working. Because the minute you start believing your own press and thinking that you're the shit, you lose your edge. Yep. And, you know, somebody said that to me like 2004, you know, and I was like, you're right. Wow. Um, so I think that, that that's it. That's a good one. I like that one. Question number four, if you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? It would be the house without a key in Hawaii on Oahu, um, which is uh, at, in the Halikulani Hotel. And it's just an open air bar where you can have a delicious Mai Tai or a daiquiri and you watch a sun. It comes with a sunset, so I'll always take... My final cocktail with, with a sunset, please. <laughs> in 
in my favorite place. So, which is a a, a a lovely little segue there into the final question of today's show. To round it all out, if you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Okay. It's hard to choose one because it, for me, it very much depends on the weather. So if it's spring, summer, it's going to be an ice cold gin martini of some sort, perhaps with a little bit of vino sherry in it. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan mm -hmm. of like a tuxedo, you know. <laughs> um, and if it's fall, winter, it's a Manhattan for sure. You know, I, I when I the, I have three cocktails that I probably make for myself most often, and it's a martini, a Manhattan, and a Negroni. Mm -hmm. You know, classics. The, yeah, you taste a lot of drinks. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that you make for yourself. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it's interesting as well. You know, you mentioned the martini and the Manhattan. Um, do you believe a couple of years ago? Didn't you know? Speaking of Dave Wondrich, do you think he wrote an article, kind of saying that? it's more likely that the martini evolved out of the Manhattan than the Martinez, which is commonly assumed. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense in my mind. It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, I, the amount of microfiche that Dave looks at, I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to think, where does he get this stuff? It's fantastic. But then on the other hand, I'm like, sometimes you just don't want to know. You don't want to know. You just like, let it be out there. Let him, Dave's doing his thing. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. He's squashed so many of the, you know, early on we had all these count so-and-so story, you know, all these stories mm -hmm. about this drink was created by this person, and mm -hmm. all, you know, and bartenders just made it up. They never mm -hmm. wrote anything down. So, and then Dave is like, well, that couldn't have happened because so-and-so was born in this year and this was that, you know, damn it, Dave, <laughs> stop it. We, now yeah. we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> Has quashed many a cocktailian's dream with his, with his truths there. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Oh, we'll need to get him on one day. I need to figure out which which drink that would be that we reach out to him for. But listen, Julie, thank you so much for coming in today. Yes, my pleasure. It's been a great chat. Yes, great. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, having some Clover Club sometime Please. in the near future. Let me know. I'm, I'll, I'll make one for you. Sounds great. <laughs> okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on VinePair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. These were exciting times for gin and gin lovers, Cocktail College listener. And a large part of that 
comes from the new styles and different botanicals producers are bringing into the fold. But what I value more than anything is when those ingredients are being used with intention and better yet, speak to a sense of place. Take Roku Jin from the House of Centauri, for example. This is a quality crafted spirit and a uniquely Japanese gin by way of six native botanicals. Those ingredients include sakura flowers and leaves, sencha tea, sancho pepper, and yuzu. Not only do they capture Japan in the glass, they also tell a tale of four distinct seasons. Once again, that name is Roku Jin, listener. And if you want my take, you have to turn to this gin for zesty martinis, bright effervescent highballs, and a unique taste of Japan. Please drink responsibly. Roku Jin is a registered trademark with 43% alcohol by volume. Copyright 2022, Beam Suntory Import Company, Chicago, Illinois.